Hi, Direct Impact Nation. This is Andrea Epstein. It's official. Season two is coming to you May 1st. We are so excited to announce and we've already got a great lineup waiting for you. So see you then. Welcome to Direct Impact, where we discuss the various ways our mental health and quality of life intersect. I'm your host, Andrea Epstein, licensed professional counselor, master's addictions counselor, and certified sex therapist. Think of our time together as focused self-reflection mixed with insight, passion, and empowerment. Now, take a deep breath. Now let's dive in and see what impacts you today. We are coming to you, Direct Impact Nation, coming through your earbuds right now. If you have ever been impacted by drugs, alcohol, substance misuse, substance abuse, or the addictive disease, please open your ears. Don't click off. Listen to the entire episode. This is really good stuff. Whether you think you've ever been impacted by addiction or not, If you suspect maybe, or you are sure as hell sure, or you don't even know what addiction is, stay with us. You are going to learn so much from our speaker today. This is Janice Ellington, and she is a coordinator, making sure that families and loved ones and individuals are getting connected to the care they need if they are struggling with mental health or addiction. So buckle up for the ride. Here we go with Janice Ellington. Hi, this is Andrea Epstein, and welcome to another episode of Direct Impact. I am so grateful to be here with our listeners today. Thanks for showing up. I am also excited to have Janice Ellington here with us today from Summit Behavioral Health Care, and she is just an amazing person. She is a CAC2, and she's also a relapse prevention specialist, mm-hmm. and we are going to be talking about all things addictions today different levels of care. We've got a a great episode for you. So buckle up and you're in for a really nice ride. So welcome, Janice. Thank you. (laughs) Glad to be here with you this morning. Thanks for being here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about addictions. What are addictions for our listeners out there who that doesn't really resonate with them, maybe because they're in it too deep, or maybe they just don't really have that, not just insight, but just education on addiction. Gotcha. Gotcha. And there's there's lots of different different ways to describe addiction. There's of course the diagnostic criteria, but the average person doesn't have access to a DSM-5 and understand diagnostic criteria. So I like to describe it in terms of consequences, you know, mm-hmm. doing something to the degree that it causes consequences, unintended consequences, and losing predictability, you know, using things to a degree that you can't always predict what's going to happen when you continue. And it's not a cross-section. Not everybody who uses alcohol or uses drugs or or participates in things that are considered process addictions are going to cross that line. Mm. However, there are certain people that are hardwired mm-hmm. for addiction, and there's some people that will use to the point or participate in a behavior to a point that they'll cross the line into addiction. They can actually change their genetic makeup and create an addiction for themselves just based on behavior patterns over an extended period of time. I heard a lot of really great 
things in there. Mm -hmm. I heard unpredictability, continued use despite consequences. So you've had negative consequences Mm -hmm. in specific areas of life, yet you continue to go back to it. Some people call that insanity, right? Right. What's what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing (laughs) over and over and expecting different results. Ding, ding, ding. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if you're in that pattern, perhaps there's an addiction brewing. I also heard you mention different ways that the addiction can start to form. And I heard there's a genetic predisposition, you know, so you can look at the family history. And that's one of the things you do in screening. You can also look at trauma to see if trauma is part of their background or their history. Mm -hmm. And then also, like you said, uh, just continuing to use, so prolonged exposure um, over a course of time, you can develop a dependency that way. So that's... Right. And there's different levels. Mm -hmm. Um, There are, you know, early stage, mid stage, late stage, just depending on how far down the scale addiction will take someone. Mm -hmm. And the hard part about that is the levels are not always predictable. Mm -hmm. You know, one substance may progress a person quickly. Mm -hmm. Another substance may take years and years and years to progress in a person. So it's, it's not always, you know, cookie cutter as far as what drug does what to what person. Very individualized. Mm. And that's where you come in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so tell us exactly what you do with your screening and how you're helping so many people. Okay. So I work with Summit Behavioral Health Care, which we're, we're a parent company. We have 25 residential drug and alcohol treatment facilities, pretty much in different states across the country. But residential substance abuse treatment is very plentiful. There's lots and lots of resources. That's the good news. Mm -hmm. The bad news sometimes is there's lots and lots of resources. They're very plentiful (laughs) and it's hard to know which is the right fit. Mm -hmm. What I do is I spend a lot of my time talking with individuals that need treatment for, for addictions or their family members who are seeking treatment for their loved one Mm -hmm. and listen to their story, listen to where they're currently at how their addiction or how their behaviors are manifesting and start to plug in pieces of the equation that will help them to find the right level of care, the right match for the issues that they're actually dealing with. Wonderful. And now tell our viewers, um, our listeners about um, different levels of care. You mentioned uh, inpatient. There is, there's and I'll start like from the, the least level of okay. care. There's mm-hmm. outpatient services like individual therapy. Mm-hmm. There's lots of therapists that work in addictions that can work with someone who has a level of motivation that wants to change in an outpatient basis. And that, that could be appropriate. That could be enough. Sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes an individual needs more than maybe one session a week. And then you're getting into either a modified outpatient or an intensive outpatient which can be anywhere from two to four days a week, two to four hours per session. And if that's not sufficient, if they're still having difficulty, you know, reeling in their behaviors or initiating change, then there's inpatient levels of care. And even that has different levels. There's Mm -hmm. acute, which is like crisis stabilization. Mm -hmm. That could be a detox and a crisis stabilization three, five, seven days, or it can be an seven to 14 days acute stay or inpatient residential 30, 35 days, 60 days, all the way up to 90 days. Mm -hmm. 
And That's then great. Beyond that, you can get into uh, programs like supportive housing, sober living type of environments that can go anywhere from six months to a year to two years. Tell me what you think about this. And this is just a thought. I love that you have explained very well the different levels of care and what you do stepping in to screen and assess where they are currently. What is the need? What is the need to effectively treat their disease, but also taking into consideration their level of motivation? What stage of change are they in? So you're looking at so many different factors in order to match them up appropriately. When you're looking at the different levels of care, Have you found that when people are forced to some degree to forego the preparation phase, they need a longer stay? I guess it depends on on the motivating factor. Okay. Uh, Sometimes, and I actually skipped a level of care. I just remembered as you were talking, PHP. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. PHP, which is like day treatment. And when you were mentioning mentioning, uh, motivation Uh and assessing, you know, whether someone's motivated or not, sometimes PHP and IOP is a good mm. um, middle ground, so right. to speak. But I have found that the the motivation determines a lot of, and I'm going to say external motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's not internally motivated, but they have a good bit of external motivation, like a parent putting pressure or a spouse or about to lose a job or legal consequences can be a pretty significant external motivator. Yes, I can. <laughs> um, so depending on what, how that external motivation fits into that person's life, it doesn't always necessarily dictate level of care. Mm-hmm. It can help with what they do at the level of care that they're in. Okay. Okay. Great. And, and I also find these different levels of care to be so helpful as somebody progresses in their recovery. So maybe it is most beneficial and they agree to and the stars align and they are able to go in for inpatient and they're able to stay for 30 days. Okay. But then to be able to step down to a PHP and then to an IOP and then to long-term outpatient, maybe with some groups and the support of 12-step programs, Mm -hmm. I just find that that's where the levels of care really come in handy. It does because it's, it's not a, I I like the, the, the ability to fluctuate between the different levels of care Mm -hmm. because someone doesn't have to always start at the same spot. I mean, you can move up or you can move down according to the need. Now, insurance, and we'll probably talk about that at some point, but insurance will sometimes dictate that based on the different types of insurances and policies and, and their benefit package and things like that. So that may dictate to a degree, but the good thing about the levels of care is once someone is engaged in services, then there's 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 a constant assessment that takes place to be able to keep them in the right level of care. Right. Once they've exhausted what they need out of this, then they can back down to something maybe less restrictive. Or if they digress, they can bump up to something that's a little more accountability. Mm. And I like what you said there, and I'm going to push a little bit on this because this is a direct impact. So once they have exhausted, does that mean the individual is exhausted or their benefits have exhausted? Could be both. Mm -hmm. I was actually thinking of meeting all their treatment team goals Uh or their treatment plan goals. And now we can reassess, change a level of care and maybe create some new treatment goals. And ideally that would happen. But I think now it's just like a really natural segue into what are those barriers? What are the barriers that you see most often to treatment 
period, but also just the specific levels of care where they really need to go for long-term recovery. So access, okay. you know, access is a, mm-hmm. is a big thing. I'm working with people coming in the door. So the, the major barriers are the financial resources, mm-hmm. physical access, like getting to a facility. Sometimes the right fit might be a state away or it might be three states away. Mm-hmm. Or it might be too close to home, you know, and it just that's not going to work. So the next best thing is three or four counties away. And if mm-hmm. transportation might become an issue, family support sometimes can be a barrier or it can be the best asset a person has. You know, it's, it varies per individual. But I would say probably the number one barrier has to be like financial resources mm-hmm. and finding finding a good fit to fit their financial resources. But there are resources available for every single individual despite or the fit into any different socioeconomic background or status. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So it depends. It's, it depends on the area that they live, you know, mm-hmm. different, you know, Georgia has grant funded type programs every community has a community mental health program that that can be accessed there's a lot of nonprofits that are really good about outreach and offering services a lot of those are more on an outpatient basis inpatient resources are a little more limited mm-hmm. but they're there the challenge with those sometimes is availability you may have to wait a little bit for a bed to become available but they're there and each state has their different resources that they can offer. A lot of nonprofit agencies cross borders for states. There are churches that have benevolent funds that they'll offer for people, either in their congregation or family members of ones that reach out to their churches for assistance. There are different faith-based programs that are very accessible and low cost. There are work work for services, like you can go into a treatment or these are more the recovery houses, um, sober living environments where you can live there, work and pay your way. Mm -hmm. So it would be Mm self-sufficient. Traditionally like halfway house or three Mm -hmm. quarter house. Yeah. Although Mm -hmm. I think the new term Mm -hmm. is uh, supportive housing or sober living. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for our older listeners, that's what we're talking about. Absolutely. Yes. And um, and there are so many different resources available, which is why it's so important your position and what you provide is so important because your average Joe Schmo on the street is not going to have any idea what's available right. to them, not just what is the most appropriate fit for them or their loved one, but what's available. I mean, because there is just so much out there and to be able to sift through all of that. I mean, it's just incredible what you're able to do. Heads Up Guidance Services, or HUGS, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to removing all barriers to quality professional counseling services. At HUGS, all motivated individuals, couples, and families can access the support they need and deserve in an outpatient setting. They recruit dedicated, compassionate, and socially conscious professionals who volunteer their time and specialized skill pro bono. HUGS doesn't work with third-party payers, insurance companies, or government dollars. Rather, they operate entirely with the support of people just like you. To help support HUGS, visit www.headsupsavannah.org. Do you feel preoccupied, confused, or embarrassed about an unwanted behavior? 
Do you prioritize pornography, food, finances, gambling, toxic people, and or chemicals over your primary responsibilities? Well, at Resolve Strategies in Savannah, Georgia, our clinical counselors offer evidence-based approaches to take you from discovery to recovery. To learn more about Resolve Strategies, visit www.resolvestrategiesinc.com and take our free quiz, Five Defense Mechanisms That Might Keep You in the Dark. So let's now go to the direct impact of addictions that you see, the direct impact on the individual throughout their lifespan. So tell me a little bit about like what you're seeing. How is addiction impacting the individual? So I'll start with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard this this statistic sometime back, and it just has so much relevance, and it's so simple. For every one person that has an addiction, and you can include mental health in this as well, mm-hmm. there are a minimum of five people that are impacted by that one person's mental health issue or addiction. And who are those five people? You know, it can be a spouse, a child, a parent, a coworker, a neighbor, a best friend. You know, so the ripple effect is pretty vast, oh, yeah. pretty vast. Mm-hmm. So for the individual, it affects every piece of the being, mind, body, spirit, everything. And if you think about taking something in and abusing a substance, the physical impact is pretty big. And again, depending on the substance and the route of use determines how quickly someone's going to impact their, their physical health. Then you factor in accidents you know, accidental overdose or car wrecks or falls just from being impaired, the mental aspect of it. You know, it takes a lot of work to maintain an addiction. It takes a it lot is a of It's a full-time effort. job. <laughs> it takes a lot of effort. Talked with clients a lot in the past of if you put half the effort into your recovery that you did, you're using, you could accomplish a lot because mm-hmm. it does take a lot of effort and, and it a lot of mental capacity goes into to sustaining that type of behavior for that law. The same type goes into the recovery process. Mind, body, spirit, separating self from others. We're, we're built to be in relationship with we people. Are. Connection. And, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and addiction separates. Addiction isolates. Addiction wants a person to be completely alone, mm-hmm. you know, pushes everything and everybody out. So relationships suffer big time. I'm actually working on a series right now for workplace wellness that addresses, you know, mental health issues and ba- and substance issues in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, when issues of addiction and mental health show up in the workplace, you can almost guarantee they're so much worse outside the workplace. Oh, yes. Because that individual has this conception of, well, if I'm working, mm-hmm. if my job's intact, I'm bringing in a paycheck, I'm paying my bills, I must be okay. Uh-huh. But everything else falls Or nobody apart. else has a right to complain because I'm showing up to work. Right. Yes. Nobody's going to notice. <laughs> yes. You know? But what's going on outside that workplace in that individual's life by the time it shows up at work is already a big old mess That's right. outside of the work environment. Mm-hmm. So someone just holding down a job is not always a good measuring stick of how progressed their mental health or their, 
their addictions may have gotten. Mm, absolutely. And I know that here, when we are doing substance abuse assessments, one of the things we ask is about work, because once it's shown up at work, you can pretty much guarantee every other aspect of life has That's been right. negatively impacted, affected, and maybe completely wrecked right. or blown up <laughs> in a sense of, of I mean, oftentimes the marriage is already blown up. There's lots of tension and dissension going on all around them before anything shows up at work. Negative consequences there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's great. So you really did a great job of touching on the negative impacts on the family system in which the disease is living. Right. So once the disease is in that family system, it becomes very disrupted and You did a great job of also talking about the negative impacts on the physical body and also the spiritual impacts where somebody no longer feels not just disconnected from others, but disconnected from self. Mm -hmm. And there's no longer any authenticity in their life, no integrity, no intention. All those things have been long removed by the addiction itself. Mm -hmm. So I, I think our listeners have a better understanding of all the ways the addictive diseases can impact the life of the individual and those around them. I love that example of the other five people who are always Mm -hmm. impacted when the disease comes on the scene. So tell me a little bit about how you think we're doing in society. How are we doing in educating? How are we doing in helping those who are diagnosed to get into long-term recovery? I think we're doing the best we can. I think what we our industry as a whole is really good at looking at ourselves and assessing we're we're doing well but mm-hmm. we could do better mm-hmm. we could always do better the neat thing about the treatment industry i'm going to call it is there's a lot of synergism there's a lot of even though there are facilities that do do the same things in different areas there's there's a lot of synergism in being able to, if something doesn't work here, if you're not a good fit here, let's see where there is a good fit. Let's find where you're going to get the best experience with all the pieces that you bring to the table. That to me is is a, a really pivotal piece of us working together. Mm-hmm. And it's not competitive. If it gets competitive, then then we're broken. We don't need to do that. But I think what we do a really good job of is communicating and collaborating and so important what's there Mm -hmm. what's there because every call that i get is not a fit for every facility that i have but every call that i get needs help and they need resources so the onus is on me as a member of this community to know what's available or to figure out how can i find what this person may benefit Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. you know and i like to collaborate with people like that because normally it only takes maybe two or three texts uh-huh. and we've got some resources in place. I get those texts from you mm-hmm. and I so appreciate them. I mean, I just love your compassion and the passion that you have in your heart for the people that you serve because this is a disease that has such a toxic ripple effect mm-hmm. and you really are stepping in, you know, pulling up, putting your shoes on and getting dirty in it and making sure Mm -hmm. you're trying to stop that cycle. So I just really appreciate the work that you do. I also just want to reiterate that this disease does not discriminate in any way. 
it negatively impacts every single color, faith, religion, creed, you name it, it is impacting it. So we want to continue to grow and make sure that we have resources available for every individual, despite their background or their ability to pay. Mm -hmm. That's really, I think, important to everybody. Right. And we could spend a whole episode just on insurance. Yes, we could. <laughs> yes, we could. And we might do that because you have an open invitation to come back anytime, yeah. <laughs> Janice. We just thank you so much. And now if our listeners want to get in touch with you, if they're like, oh, my gosh, my eyes have been opened. I was not able to see the forest from the trees, but now I have a little more insight. How can they get in touch with you? So two ways. I pretty much carry my phone with me 24-7. So my number is 912-678-4480. And that is my cell. I'm a texter. Mm-hmm. If you leave a voicemail, I'll, I'll get back to you sometime. But if you text, <laughs> I'm probably going to get back to you within a few minutes, most likely. <laughs> my email is jellington at summitbhc. And that's J-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N at summit s-u-m-m-i-t b-h-c dot com thank you so much and i hope that our listeners will be reaching out and just thank you so much again for being with us today and thanks so much to you the listener for showing up and learning more about addictive diseases have a great day bye Thank you for dropping in. Snaps to you because you have made a direct impact by listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned every week for a new episode of Direct Impact with Andrea Epting.